0: Hello, Uh, this is the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I am joined by Nate Atkins. It is currently 12.46, according to my watch. Nate's phone says 12.44. Uh, We are still at the Colts Complex after the press conference uh, announcing Jeff Saturday as head coach, which went in a lot of different directions. Um, I think... Ultimately, the way today went, I, I don't think anyone was surprised by the Colts' decision to fire Frank Reich. This season sort of felt like felt like for the last two weeks that it's been just a cascading uh, bunch of escalating decisions, um, including one with the quarterback that I think was. It's, I it's t- they they keep saying it's a, it was a collective decision, but it feels like the owner had a even bigger hand in it than ever. Um he's been increasingly involved lately. Um and so we I mean we weren't su- we weren't surprised by it. I mean I wasn't we just as evidence that we weren't surprised I had pre written a story or at least part of a story uh in case it happened on Monday because we were traveling back, which is exactly when it posted actually. Um I got the news uh on I think on the the exit between I four sixty five and I sixty nine, which is not really a great place to get news that you have to actually immediately tweet out. Um, mm. Sorry for breaking texting laws, uh, tweeting laws. I was lucky; I beat. You. We were on the same flight home, and I think I just beat you home. Yeah, you're
1: closer the you're closer to the airport than I am. I sat down at my computer, and ten minutes later, it was there.
0: Um, but anyway, tweeted out the news. Then uh, shortly after that, the Colts announced it um again I, I don't know that anyone was surprised by it the way it was going. Frank Reich, especially um, you know put the blame for the offense completely on his his own shoulders um, yeah after the the debacle in, in new england so so really the, the the firing of Frank Reich didn't necessarily come as a surprise um just in terms of were you expecting it.
1: Yeah, I think we probably foreshadowed that on the podcast we did, crazy to think, just a little over 24 hours ago, coming off the uh, blowout loss to the Patriots, where we just kind of talked about how this offense had hit rock bottom. And ultimately, that was always going in a results-based business. It was going to reflect on the guy who was brought in to run the offense, which is Frank Reich. He's the head coach, but he's the offensive mind and became the offensive coordinator after you know firing Marcus Brady, and it just for last week or on Sunday really went so poorly it felt like sort of a rock-bottom moment for that side of the ball. And it had been trending this way, and you mentioned the quarterback decision that uh, that, that he many times has said as collective, which is not how he describes any other move that that he was making. The decision to fire Marcus Brady was not built as collective. Uh, so it's not been hard to read between the lines on how this all came together. They promised uh, Matt Ryan and Frank Reich two years together. Um, obviously things can change if you don't perform, but they didn't get more than seven games together before they went to a six-round pick in a league where six-round picks in their second year don't play well at all, and that's what we saw on Sunday. So it almost was like it, you could just see it coming just, by, just by, by the odds of how things go in this league, and it was hard to stop that avalanche.
0: The closest, the closest I think that we came to getting a definitive answer for why the firing happened now um, which i actually don't I don't know if Colt's fans really want or care about um, because I think most Colt's fans had decided it needed to happen but Ursay uh, said something along the lines of uh, and i'm going to get I'm going to get up here in a second and make sure I have the transcript in front of me but he said um, we, we thought the team was heading for collapse uh, it, it does sound like the, the decision was pretty heavily debated from from listening to Chris Ballard when he talked about it.
1: Yeah, Chris Ballard and, and Jim Mersey had a meeting after the game last night, and of course that, uh, you know, they were in in Foxborough, and I remember seeing both of them, Jim Mersey riding out on a golf course or a golf cart, and and Chris Ballard walking by and, and just looking looking pretty upset. And then they had a meeting after that that, that Ballard described as spirited, and uh, and they decided to fire Frank Reich. And it's interesting the way that they delivered that idea, or the way that Jim Mersey has delivered that idea, is that they. Mm-hmm. Did it because Jeff Saturday was willing to step in, and that if he isn't willing, if he had said no or wasn't the time, they might not have made it. Which was a very weird way to package that because
0: we we thought I it don't was. Don't know happening. what to make of that. I don't. I don't. I don't have any idea what to make of that. It doesn't make sense to me. It seems really, like I don't. I don't. It just doesn't seem like the way things go down. You don't. Yeah. You don't make. You don't fire a head coach just because you have a coach who's never coached. In, like, we'll get to the Saturday piece of this, but, like, he, he's never coached above the high school level. Um, and I don't – I anyway, that that was a very confusing sentence. I, I have no idea what to make of that. I, mean, I almost he, think
1: that was just a way to talk his interim up. I mean, that's how it comes off to me is that, that you know, you like – almost every time that, that, you know, a team makes a draft pick or they hire a coach, it's, you know, this was our top candidate. We wouldn't settle for anybody else. It felt a little bit like that. But it comes off weird because it comes off as – well, we weren't firing Frank Reich so much for performance as much as it is the availability of someone who was always available
0: because he was working in TV. Um. Um, yeah, and Ursay kept saying it's an intuitive decision as to when to fire Reich, when to, to make the hire for Saturday. Um, one of the things that I think I want to I highlight here, that both Ursa and Chris Ballard, push back at the idea that the Colts have given up on, on anything by making this move. It, here's the stark reality. If you fire your coach in any franchise in the NFL, that means that you are further away from where you want to be than you ever imagined.
1: You're giving up on it. Like, there's only been one interim coach who's ever taken a team to the playoffs and that was uh
0: Bisaccia last year with the Raiders. That's a really good stat. Like like if you if you are you are giving up on a, on a direction there. And I mean not that the Colts didn't signal that in some way by making the quarterback change and completely moving off of the Matt Ryan plan, but but firing the head coach, you you've now Ursula always talks about there's three pillars and the pillars are quarterback head coach and general manager they fired that two of them are gone now, and they've been living with change at one of them two of them is a reset no matter no matter what you, no matter how you spin it or what you say they, they can say they're, they're not throwing in the towel but they, this is an admittance that what they were doing isn't working they have to find something different. it's, it's anytime your franchise fires a coach, you are at a low point. As a franchise, what what you were doing has not worked out. You have to reset in some way, shape, or form, um, generally to a big degree. And the fact the 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 piece of this that the Colts don't have a long term quarterback right now makes it worse. Yeah. Normally when normally the the coaching changes that work in the immediately in the NFL involve things like uh, the Packers firing Mike McCarthy and getting Matt Lafleur, and the reason that worked. Is largely because the Packers had Aaron had a motivated Aaron Rodgers playing really well um, with Devontae Adams. Now he's not playing that way this season, but he sure did the last two seasons when he won the MVP. So you can change the you can change the coach when you have the a quarterback, and it tends to be success. It can be successful for a couple years, Um, but until you have the quarterback, it's tough. It's tough. And I've always
1: thought that there's only two reasons why you should fire a coach during the season. And that's either you want to try out a coach on an interim basis and see if he, you know, can earn that job for the future, or it's that you fear that you're gonna, you've lost your culture and you're gonna lose, uh, you know, the development of young players and you're just, you're gonna lose too much along the way that you want to carry into the future. And it sounds like the way they package, they try to package it as both. You know, they talked about how this was kind of cascading toward a collapse. Uh, I know they're very bothered by the culture. I think, I think they have a bad read on why the culture is the way it is. Where you have so much doubt in the in the locker room, really in the offensive side of the ball, and so many questions and in um, in players like you know Michael Pittman Jr. has gotten a little bit upset with roles. And uh, to me, they they introduced all of that when they decided to bench the quarterback who they sold as a leader for two to three years and then benched it after seven games and it felt rudderless because they well, played in and a as, six-round pit. As
0: you've pointed out on this podcast before, with like in terms of Pittman specifically, when Ryan was the quarterback and healthy, that was the most he'd ever gotten the ball. He was probably the happiest with his role that he'd ever been. The Tennessee game, the separated shoulder alters your evaluation mm-hmm. of what they did there because it's, prob- it's pretty reasonable to think that Ryan wasn't throwing deep because he couldn't.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, the two games Sam Ellinger's been in, I mean, the the reason they put Sam Ellinger in was that he could use his legs a little bit more, Uh, but he's completed 32 passes, and the two games Matt Ryan was in, he completed 75. So that's a production drop-off. That's a drop-off of guys who were excelling in the passing game and producing that way. And it's just, like, this is what I've always been, why I was so, you know, big on the Matt Ryan acquisition, why I was, I've kind of stayed in his corner Um, is because having covered Matthew Stafford, I just have such a belief in what the belief in the franchise quarterback does for every single moment. Uh, It it feels like there's a tone in every interview, practice, film session, meeting room, locker room session, game, huddle, when you know you have the guy or you believe you have the guy, even if, again, Matt Ryan didn't always have the performance, but they they absolutely believed it because that's how they came back for three wins and a tie, which most of the NFL – um, and now it looks like they can't they can't really win at all. So I just think that this – Jim Mercy and Chris Ballard or not, and specifically Jim Mercy is the way he came off to me today, they know they have a culture problem. They are not aware of how they contributed to that and how they created it. And really to them they think moving from Frank Reich to a coach that I know at least Jim Mercy, you know really, really beloves in Jeff Saturday and talks about all these traits that he has, even though he hasn't had the experience. He thinks that's sort of this – this fix of, I do think they want to see what he can do in the interim role and see where that could go in the long term. But also, I think they think that could be some cultural fix. But I think it's incredibly risky to think that way.
0: It's it's it is a little bit different. We we, we kind of have to read between the lines because they never they didn't give us a whole lot outside of we thought we were heading for a collapse. There there's not much in here that's explicitly about why they fr- why they fired Reich and why they decided to move on from somebody that they supported all offseason um instead they
1: got kind of defensive about him
0: uh yeah in in fact um yeah i mean ursay spent a significant portion of his opening statement defending reich um i guess i can
1: sum it up here this this is one of the weirdest press conferences i think the weirdest press conference i've ever seen because we already knew it was going to be kind of odd. They're introducing a coach and Jeff Saturday. I mean, they, they fired a coach. They scheduled a press conference. They introduced an interim. The interim does not have experience. It's a rocky season. I didn't have expectations that this was going to be you know, a big rallying moment. But this was so divisive and defensive from Jim Irsay and Chris Ballard in a moment where – I thought the the inspiration behind the hire was to bring back a franchise legend in this guy that at moments they talked about having all these incredible traits and they're so proud that he was available. But it felt like three quarters of the presser was talking about how much the outside perception is wrong, how much Frank Reich got scapegoated, even though they're the ones making the decisions, how much, you know, how they've every, always done everything right. I mean, there's compare Jim Mercy compared Chris Ballard to Michael Jordan. I mean like the, they they talked as if they were the New England Patriots sitting up there and that that the, you cannot question them uh because they've won in the past even though the whole reason we're sitting here today is that they're 3-5 and 1 they have a bad culture and they chose to fire the coach cuz they said it was cascading toward a collapse. So I had a very hard time understanding what they were trying to get across in this press conference.
0: There was I mean there was there was the piece here that I think a lot of people seized on both nationally and locally um Especially people who've you know followed the way the n f l's gone, I'm gonna read it uh the question was was you know, we know what Jeff Saturday means to this city and the team, but he has no coaching experience in college the n f l How did you get to this point where you offered him the job? Did you offer the interim role to anybody else um in the middle of that answer, Ursay said, "I'm glad he doesn't have any n f l experience I'm glad he hasn't learned the fear that's in this league." Because it's tough for all of our coaches. They're afraid. They go to analytics, and it gets difficult. I mean, he doesn't have all that. He doesn't have that fear. What? Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's I. I I've covered I I covered all but four. I covered all but five games, six games of the Reich era. Um, five games before I moved up here, and then one that I missed for a family thing um, i the, the criticism that was leveled levied most often at Reich was that he was too aggressive not that he was too cautious if anything this year has been has been notable because he's been much more cautious on fourth down than he had been previously um which was not listening to the analytics which, which is a f- fear like i the, the hard part like i don't understand how fear and fear makes a coach go for it that doesn't makes sense to me it also doesn't make sense fear is usually what makes a coach not go for it
1: and how would you know that you're saying you know that the coach you're bringing in doesn't have fear because he's never done it before like if i've never done something before that that, is
0: not a proof that i don't have fear of doing it yeah that's yeah 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 i understand what you're saying sorry I i was the quote confuses me so i keep having to read it um yeah, it's, I mean, it's going all over the internet because it, it
1: it's just one of those quotes that seems to be setting football back. I mean, we're we're moving in an era. It's it's annoying enough to listen to anybody who talks about analytics as if it's anything other than information in part of something that that just informs you. In in the way that Frank Reich would lay out his decision making to us all the time is that the numbers would almost that would just sort of reinforce what he was feeling, what his gut was. It would inform it. He'd go against it sometimes. go he went against it a lot this year because he didn't believe in you know, their offensive line and their ability to do it, but all the analytics ever have been is learning more about the game. And so then it just contradicts what Drew mercy says later, which is, you know, Jeff Saturday's played a lot in this league. He's followed the league. He has a lot of knowledge of the game. That's what analytics is. I mean it's football knowledge, but it's also information that you can't possibly have gathered unless you have the people and the manpower to do it. The I
0: I'm going to be honest. I don't fully understand. I was going to start talking about the perception of what analytics is, but I, I don't fully understand what the perception of analytics is. Um, it's just, they're just stats. Yeah. That's what analytics is. They're, they're numbers. They're, they're, they're quantifiable numbers. Um, if I had to and, guess. And, and, and it, and it, that has been translated into probabilities that give coaches a better understanding of how situations will play out and, whether or not it gives them a better chance to win or not. Quantified mm-hmm. over hundreds and hundreds of games. I don't – I'm going to be honest. I don't fully understand why that's a bad thing.
1: Oh, I don't at all. If I, I had I don't to don't guess give, based on what else Jim Mersey said, he talked a lot about toughness and the toughness of this guy who played center in the trenches. He started off with a story of him, you know, the night before – he could block Trevor Super Price. Bowl. Yeah, it's this idea of, like, he's going to be this tough – fearless guy and he's he, he seems to think that like analytics has become some kind of distraction from that because the coach he's moving off of used a lot of analytics and the image of that coach is that he maybe wasn't the big you know the big screamer the big um they're not as good in the trenches as they want to be obviously but again this is where i'm saying I, I think they there's some delusion up there um from chris ballard and jim mercy as to why that is because and they're, they're not bad in the trenches, and they're not not aggressive going for it on fourth and one because Frank Reich is looking at too many numbers. It's because their offensive line that they've paid more than any other in football isn't getting the job done. But we know that they've – I mean, what's, what started all of this, all of this was two losses of the Tennessee Titans have just spun Jim Irsay, you know,
0: just kind of let him loose. And, I mean, he's – Well, and it's, it's – like you do – you should want to be, you should want to be the AFC South. Like Reich's inability to win an AFC South title, that is absolutely a valid criticism. He he never got them to that point, um. But like, if this was a move made to essentially just go fully into the reset, then it makes you know a little more sense it's weird it's still very it's still unprecedented i i I can't get enough of the stat because it 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 just shows how different it is the last time a coach was hired in the nfl without any prior coaching head coaching experience in the nfl or college was prior coaching experience in the nfl or college was 1961 (laughs) which uh full disclosure podcast listeners neither of my parents were alive in 1961 um and i'm 36 really? mine were <laughs> um uh like norm van brock and that was norm van brocklin coming off of an mvp year he was still in the league this is this is different i mean i shouldn't say it. saturday has been around the league he's been commentating on the league that's different than being in the league and and going through all of the stuff this is this oh, is yeah. and when van brocklin did it that's a very different era of football very different workload not say that or that saturday doesn't have a have an idea of what that's like but i think living it is very very different and reggie wayne has kind of hinted at that a lot this year as somebody who's very smart has obviously done a good job with the colts wide receivers but he's mentioned to us like this is a different thing in terms of workload how much you have to be in there the preparation that goes into it It, that's that's going to happen to saturday too yeah
1: and so so no team has made an interim decision like this since 1961, and no team had made the type of quarterback decision this team made two weeks earlier ever that I could find, not fully to that level where you bench a Hall of Fame caliber uh, in the discussion quarterback with a 500 record for a day three pick who's never played. That has never happened. So they've done two moves in three weeks that are unprecedented in the history of football, which just shows you that this is not a measured process-based a uh, decision, which goes with the fact that they don't like analytics. I mean, it all kind of fits together. And so then when he says this is an intuition-based... Intu- intuitive. Intuitive. I said it over and over Decision. Time. He kept saying that. What he's trying to get across is this is reading the room and knowing and just having that feel of leadership and when it's time. What, I, what it comes off to me, though, is intuition to him is anger, emotion. That's what losing twice to the Titans did. That's what losing an opener. That's what uh the collapse late last season and the COVID and all all of that and you know that's fine it's cool that like uh, on some levels it was endearing when to know that the colts had a fiery owner and then he cared but it's gone way too far if it's going to get to the level of that becomes intuition and we're going to ignore any kind of process and we'll see It, it may very well work out but it just they had a very very hard time today selling how they got to this point why frank reich is out why uh well, he's why out right this now. Is, is the specific
0: yeah. part like what? Why now? Why was it the first time in in 27 years um, that Ursay has done this midseason? Um, more importantly, I think and, why and, and they well, had a really hard time. I think I think more importantly, the the harder part was, and the harder part for people to understand was, I think most Colts fans understood why the team would move on from Reich. I think the harder thing for Colts fans to understand was. Why bring in somebody who hasn't been coaching at all? Especially when there were people on the staff with extensive head coaching experience. John Fox has coached three teams. Gus Bradley has coached, but Gus Bradley coached one team and is, has a defense that's playing fantastic football right now. Like John Fox seemed like the obvious person here because he's, he's a senior defensive assistant. He's, he's helping. Like he could easily have moved into that role without affecting the defense. And then you've even got a guy like
1: Bubba Ventrone who hasn't been a head coach, but knows all parts of this roster. That's part of being the special teams coach is very, you know, people-oriented coach. And you're talking about connecting with players and and winning culture over. So, like I said, it it may, who knows? It it may work, it may have success, but it is is very much like, Jim Merce is just changing his mind all the time. And the question that I ended up asking him at the end was, you know, after all this, and he made more promises today about, you know, he wants Jeff Saturday here for eight games, maybe more. He has a chance to hit the job. He said, Chris Ballard will be my GM. I'm not even thinking about anything other than that. And I just brought up to him that he said the same things about Matt Ryan at quarterback and Frank Reich as head coach, even eight days ago, said Frank Reich was safe. And so this intuition is leading him to change his mind all the time based on just his emotion coming out of a game that he doesn't like. And so, I don't know how Colts fans could be left to believe the plans in place for any of this and that that there is a plan, that that, that you're going to stick to something when it seems so, if if everything is packaged in intuition, but often it really is, that's just a placeholder word for emotion, you know, where where the emotions end up leading you.
0: For some Colts fans, I think that might be um, maybe the silver lining on the end of today is that uh is what you just said because a lot of them are, are out on chris ballard the, the the ballard piece of this you know or was asked directly and this was sort of an obvious question but it was asked directly um when you're making a coaching move after the season will chris ballard be a part of that do you expect him to be back next season he said of course yes i do there's no question about that honestly it's not really even in the consciousness of my mind which you referenced uh There's the one piece of this where, yes, they have moved on from people that they were planning, uh, that they supposedly were planning to have for at least one or two years that they had generally stuck with. Um, The other piece of this and the answer to why, I think the answer to why they were keeping Ballard is what stuck with everybody. Um, And it stuck with me, too. It really felt like the difference between Ballard and Reich in... Ursay's mind had to do with how they got here. Ballard was the highly sought-after GM candidate. Um, Everybody wanted him. He turned down a couple places. He was looking for the right spot. He found it here. Um, Ursay said it was a great indication for this organization that Ballard wanted to come here. He could have gone anywhere he wanted. Reich obviously was not that. He was their second choice. Um, He was, this is a bad way to put it, but left over after the Super Bowl. Um I think forty thirty three and one, he was better than that. Um but it it does seem like that the decision is, is rooted in how those guys got here. What why why he's be, he's still being very supportive of Ballard without being supportive of Reich. Um Pallard's Ballard's answer in a surprise, honestly. Um generally in these situations before, I mean I know he can be Cocky in situations like right before the season, sometimes before the like right after the draft. Um, I think some of that that bulldog in him comes out. It generally hasn't come out after f- the team has failed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and he was wonderful last year. After and the he season. knows, and he knows, and he knows. Like he's been in this league way too long to not know that this is a failure. I mean, this is the head coach that he loved work. Love uh, you know publicly said he loved working with, and publicly supported and was tied to until 2026 and now that guy's gone um and he started to do some of that but i don't know if it was i just never he never got to the place we've seen him get before where he says you know this is my fault we haven't done this that there was there was more of a the only answer we got and and part of this is that we didn't we didn't ask Ballard a lot of questions because our was the one that has been making the decisions and the one who's going to make the decisions going making those big decisions going forward. But, you know, he did rest on the defense. The defense is playing good football. That's, I thought that if, if, if someone was going to make an argument for Ballard to be back, that's the, the biggest one is that the defense has played well. Um, he said offensively is where we have to make some hay. There's a quote that everyone has been paying attention to that, um, he said, I think you all know, as you all have been kicking the bleep out of me for years for not drafting wideouts, and all of a sudden I look up and we're underperforming on the offensive line right now.
1: I have a theory on that. I've okay. been kicking that one over. I, I, think, I think he was trying to make a lighthearted reference to the fact that this was finally the year that he would, okay, I'll draft the wide receiver, takes Alec Pierce, and certain holes on the offensive line, left tackle and right guard have sunk this team. The problem is he he, he he sat up there with, not looking very happy the whole time. It didn't come off as a joke. It didn't. In other I, settings, he I would have laughed wonder, when he said those yeah, things. Yeah, I
0: did wonder if some of the stuff he said was supposed to be, sort of his. Like joking personality, and it didn't come off that way because yeah. he did look tense up there. That's what I think it
1: was. It. I think in other settings where he's the only one sitting up there, he may have done one of his big laughs for a second. I just I don't think he felt like he was in control. He wasn't talking much up there. This decision is much bigger than him. Uh, you know, he pretty much indicated to us that they they had a con- they had a meeting, Jim Mersey and Chris Ballard after the game on Sunday that was tense. I mean, they're always tense after these losses, but that one was about what to do now, to f- whether to fire Frank Reich, whether to go after Jeff Saturday to make this switch, and. I don't know. It's it's hard to read where where exactly everyone stands on that, but he he just didn't sit up there and, and look very, very. Th- it's not how GMs often look when they sit up there introducing a new coach. So I don't. That it's a midseason move. It's it's not how anyone planned to go. And like you said, it is an indication of a failure. And so he's wearing that up there. When, so when
0: a co- yeah, when a coach is fired, it's it's a it's. The franchise is at a low point. Coaches don't get coaches don't get fired when franchises are at high points. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. So, um, so I just think I don't think he. I just don't think he
1: felt like he was in his element, and it just it didn't come off great though because again it was just the contrast of he, he wasn't the one to come in here and be the point man for this. Jeff Saturday wasn't because he's the new guy who hasn't coached before and just kind of got caught up last night. So Jim Mercy was the point man, and I that was the one that was just the weirdest to me is that I've. Uh, say what you want about Jim or say, but you know, I, I know he could be hyperbolic, but he's always come off as very engaging when I've been around him. A very like He likes the scene. He likes the attention. He wants to speak directly to the fans. He hears them when they're frustrated. This came off just a little more edgy and defensive than I guess I was anticipating, but I guess maybe that's, you know, we don't often – he hasn't made a midseason move before, and maybe it's just kind of the heat of the moment and one day after – you know, getting your teeth kicked in by a rival—maybe um, it puts you in that place—but it, it was just a little bit weird. I just—I I bring it up because I—the the positive I saw in the presser was I was impressed by Jeff Saturday.
0: Yeah, I was good. That's where I was going to take the podcast next.
1: Yeah, he—you uh, know—he didn't talk as much because of because of what we we're talking about, but every moment he had up there, he was lighthearted, he was relatable, he was a little self-deprecating. It, he walked a nice line between acknowledging that, yeah, I don't have experience. I know those would be the questions. I I don't have a big defense for you, without, but but still instilling some confidence in, you know, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't really believe in this franchise and this team. And he's walking that fine line of being humble, not coming in like he has some secret sauce, even though he's never done this before, because that can look bad in these circles if you're that guy. I've seen that before. But also at the same time, you have to have some confidence in yourself and not be like, well, I'm just – just lucky guy who just got dropped in I don't know what I'm doing so
0: I thought he came off well in, in relatable and balancing those two I I kind of felt bad for him he was kind of an impossible situation tonight um you know he's to put into perspective like why the press conference went it, it's not just about the unprecedented nature of it like we're it's not just us us as as media members who are who are noting that that has been as, as local media members. That has been the topic of conversation, literally across the NFL world all day. Um, beat writers I know from other parts of the country, uh, other people I know in the NFL from parts of the country. Text messages were like, "What? Wait, what? What is this? What? What is this thing?" And and it's not just that. I, I have friends who are cult season ticket holders and were very confused by it. Friends who just watch the team a lot who are very confused by it and texting me. Um, and so that's that's why. There was a lot of confusion around this move, a lot of talk about this move, and that's that's why it was like this. But I, I did feel bad for him because in, in what was a, I think probably a celebratory day for him, getting to be a head coach, it didn't feel that way. Um but again, these questions have to be asked. When you when you do things that are unprecedented and that the, the the fan base is wondering and the city is wondering wait, where did this come from? Those questions have to be asked. Uh and, and I think I think we'll get a better It'll be different with Jeff Saturday the next time we talk to him, which is probably going to be Wednesday. Um, it's going to be a different set of things because it's going to be less about the decision and more about the job he has to do. Um, it's and, interesting. And then, and then we'll see. And then we'll see what happens. It, it's, it sounds like he's going to be more of a CEO type um, than anything else. It's interesting to
1: contrast him with the last change they made when they went from Matt Ryan to Sam Ellinger, and I felt the same way is that Sam was in a tough spot because the locker room was crushed that they decided to bench the leader of the team and the guy that a lot of players grew up watching and had the fourth quarter comebacks and the guy that was sold as the guy to take them out of the quarterback carousel. And the day that he first talked to us, Sam was the day that Matt Ryan talked to us. And it is that contrast in the locker room of emotions and Sam having to answer for a lot of that stuff. Which, again, that was a big day for him. he gives his first chance in the NFL. He didn't know he was going to be here. He didn't know he was going to be on an NFL roster, let alone be able to start. But those questions have to be asked because that's just the state of the team and where they're in right now. So it's a very fascinating mix that right now that they have of Sam Ellinger playing for head coach and Jeff Saturday where both of those guys, you know <laughs> – take it three weeks ago had no idea this was ever even possible, and yet here they are. And that's kind of the message that Saturday said was that's kind of his whole playing career was a guy that no one thought had a you know was anything and then all of a sudden, you know, he was an undrafted player, uh, who who shows up here and plays thirteen years and makes five Pro Bowls and is in the Ring of Honor. So, um, to him it's like I, he has doesn't know how this is gonna go. Doesn't know it doesn't have a roadmap except he has belief in himself and his experiences within the game and his love and passion for this franchise which very much is kind of how Sam felt as a guy that did not have any experience in the NFL but was a beloved teammate by the guys who do know him and believed in his ability to be selfless enough but also confident enough to work within that so that'll be kind of the marriage that we're going to watch the rest of the season. His,
0: His leadership I think is probably unquestioned you know and he said I think that's probably my strongest quality is I'm a leader of men. I I, I think, um, you know, <laughs> I, I think that one of the things that everyone has said already and and it, it, it it's going to come into play here going forward. It's going to be interesting because he's trying to do the CEO role is like being a head coach in the NFL is so much more um, than just the leadership ability um and it's not just about the Xs and Os it's not about all that stuff it's about troubleshooting and it's about you know handling different people's uh desires and what they want and their you know conflicts and stuff like that and and leadership is a part of that maybe he'll be able to do that well but it's it's a lot of different things it's a it's a huge multifaceted job uh in the NFL to be a head coach and so we're we're gonna see how he does. I I would say he handled the press conference well, um, especially considering, especially considering. Uh, well, it was. I I thought one of the better questions was if you could put your hat on as a TV analyst, uh, what would your take be in a st- in studio on a move like this elsewhere? Um, and, and he said I'd be shocked. Which, which it he came off as somebody who understood how the move looked how it had been received, what kind of questions he would get. He came off prepared, honestly. And, and that's interesting. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles it. It again, I, the, the, as we kind of wrap this up and come full circle, the, the thing I just keep coming back to is whatever they're saying about this, turning things around this year, there's been so much change. And the feeling is, is that it's, they, they've punted. And, uh, and and ultimately, once you fire your head coach, it's it's just not likely that it's it's just not likely it's going to turn around because you you you're in firing your head coach. You're admitting that you're maybe not all the way at rock bottom, but you're on the way. You're punting.
1: That's why only one coach has ever taken a team as an interim to the playoffs. That's not the plan. That, nobody does this thinking this is a playoff team. We got to make the move to make get them to the playoffs. So. This team's 3-5-1. and one. Um, You know, they got swept by the Titans. They have eight games left. Uh, I don't know what the record's going to end up being, but, I mean, there's a lot of change. And I just – I think the thing that – the way this feels weird to me is is just when you, you want to see a plan connect between moves. And what's hard right now is that
0: – There hasn't been – yeah, there's not. There's one. not, but mm-hmm. especially
1: when you think, like, they benched Matt Ryan because they talked about how much – they were intrigued by sam ellinger they want to develop sam ellinger sam has started two games and since then he's had his offensive coordinator fired he's had his head coach fired who's also his offensive play caller fired leadership is dropping like flies and he's got to take that void because that's what quarterbacks are but also jeff saturday doesn't know who the play caller is yet he's interviewing coaches today um yeah
0: he said he might be up doing it right now we're still here
1: You know, it's just a very tough spot to be putting Sam Ellinger in. Um, You know, that's. So I don't know. We've got eight games left. Sam's a very mentally tough kid. He's coming off a tough game. Obviously, they all are uh, the Patriots, but he got sacked nine times, and that was kind of his first, you know, real struggle that he has to rebound from. So it'll be interesting to see how he rebounds doing that. Uh, But it does feel like you don't make these moves the past two weeks firing a coordinator and a head coach. If your idea is we can get to the playoffs and get the most out of this quarterback, who'll be the guy to lead us? It's more of a we're gonna we're gonna abort this version of us and we're gonna punt it to next year, and maybe in the process of that, maybe Sam surprises. If
0: if they if they had said that this is a reset today, this press conference feels very different. Yeah, it feels. And self-aware. I think the questions would have been very different.
1: Yeah, I if, think that's if, a good if point. they
0: said if they said we we've decided that this is not working. um, I, even if even if you say we're going forward with Ballard, like I, I don't think people would necessarily like it. But if you said this is a reset um, instead of the way it came off, I think it, it's a very different thing. But that's not how the, how it worked. And just to your point about interim coaches and what they've got, uh, there's our there's this is the second firing that we've had so far this season. Matt Rule was fired in Carolina uh, after five games. Since then, the Carolina Panthers are one and three, and. They've played about the way they looked in the in their one and five in their one and four start. So, um, st- and also Steve Wilkes just fired two more coaches down there. So, um, that's that's the more likely thing that happens with interim coaches. Um, so, that's where we're at. I, I think on Wednesday when we do our video pod, the bigger one, I think we'll we'll get into some of what this means for the team. Um, maybe by then we'll have a better idea with the offensive coordinator. We can start moving forward. But we wanted to do a First Impressions pod on, on enormous news in Colts' world and and just a, a press conference that I think a lot of people, a lot of people watched and had a lot of questions about. And so that's, we, we're trying to make sense of it. That's this kind of the point of a First Impressions pod. Um, we will be back on Wednesday for the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I'm Joel e. Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins. <laughs>